Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast for episode number 151. With certified Goleman Emotional Intelligence Coach, Renee Adams. Renee Adams is a children's book author, writing books that teach children and parents foundational emotional intelligence skills, including being able to identify and name their emotions. We've seen the importance of this skill that started with the founding director of Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, Mark Brackett, on episode 22 with his book, Permission to Feel, And then again with episode 28 with Dr. Daniel Siegel, who talks about the importance of naming an emotion to tame it. I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and educator from Toronto, Canada, now in Arizona, and like many of our listeners have been fascinated with learning and understanding the science behind high performance strategies in our schools, sports and the workplace with ideas that we can all use, understand and implement immediately. When I was introduced to Renee Adams, I saw her background as a certified Goleman emotional intelligence coach, and I immediately contacted her to see if I could pick her brain on many questions that I'm asked about emotional intelligence. Why not ask an expert when I have the chance? Let's meet Renee Adams. Welcome, Renee. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to speak with me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrea, for inviting me to be a guest on your wonderful and most helpful podcast. I have already learned new things from listening to some episodes, and I have a new goal in mind, and that is to listen to every episode because it has great value, and and so I really appreciate this opportunity. Oh, thank you so much. Now, Renee, are you still located in Boulder today? Are you in Boulder, Colorado? I am. Yes, I am located. Yes, in Boulder, Colorado. Got it. Well, I almost moved to Boulder from uh, Toronto when I was first considering moving from Canada to the US. I considered Colorado because uh, it was the Columbine tragedy that motivated me to, to move and get up and try and do something back in the late 90s when that happened. And I looked at, um, I think it was Mile High, Colorado, and I really struggled with the altitude. So that's why I chose Arizona because I thought I can handle the heat, just not the, the lack of oxygen. <laughs> Uh, it's not unusual for people to experience yeah, difficulty with the altitude. So I can just say that Arizona is a lucky state that they got you and it's Colorado's loss. Um, but I know you're such a valuable member of your community there. And um, so I'm glad you can tolerate the heat. Definitely. Heat. Yeah, definitely. I, love, I love heat. I do find an altitude, but yeah, Arizona is a beautiful state. It sure is. I'm so lucky to be here. So Renee, I did watch some of your other podcasts as I was researching and learning more about you and your work centered around emotional intelligence. And I'll link the episodes that I watched in the show notes so people can dive deeper into you. But at what point in your career did you see the importance of teaching emotional intelligence to children and parents? What's the missing link that you saw? 
Well, thank you for asking. Uh, this is a very interesting question and it has a multifaceted answer. Um, and I just thought about mentioning what you said about the Columbine um, experience. I have friends who have had children um, during that tragic event. And just because of the, the mentioning of it and it's at the forefront of our minds, you know, I'll just say that I think there's so many tragic events that in hindsight, there have been red flags and signs that had people been more aware and had more empathy and been more aware socially of what was happening, I think a lot of lives could be saved. Um, so I, I congratulate you for being motivated to come and do something, you know, to help based on that um, tragic experience. And so my, my reason for wanting to teach young children emotional intelligence really goes way back. And it, it began with a journey with my own parenting. So in 1995, I went to a parent information night that my son's school offered. And I heard about Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence. It was a New York Times bestseller at the time. And I read that book and started to implement what I learned in my own parenting. And so that really began my, my journey of uh, learning more and more about emotional intelligence and applying it to parenting specifically. Um, my, my oldest son was eight at the time, he's now 33. And I had a four-year-old son and unbeknownst to me at the time, I was going to be adopting a girl from a special needs orphanage in Siberia in 2003 when she was two years old. And then from 2008 until 2011, as part owner of a senior care business, I incorporated emotional intelligence learning in my training of caregivers, especially in the areas of self-awareness, empathy, and compassion. And in the spring of 2011, I began attending writing workshops with a desire to learn how to effectively write for young children. In 2016, I had completed my first children's book titled Calm in Your Palm, which later has now become the overarching brand of my business. And I had gotten my feet wet developing an augmented reality app that went along with that book. And then in 2019, I had completed my second children's book with an even more in-depth augmented reality app experience. Unexpectedly, I then decided to rethink my overall goal and strategy pertaining to this new entrepreneurial path. What I really want to do here is give credit to a brand consultant, Denise Young, with whom I worked. And she's the one who actually tied in what I wanted to accomplish with my, my authorship of children's books and the toys that I was developing. So she noticed on LinkedIn that I was uh, connected with emotional intelligence groups. I had shared with her that in January of 2016, I traveled to the Kripalu uh, Yoga Center, and that's in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and Daniel Goleman, and Tara Bennett Goldman were leading a weekend seminar. 
uh, on emotional intelligence. And I took every book that I had, which I think were all of the books that Daniel Goldman had written. I told him he was one of my heroes. I had him sign my books during a, a book signing that he did for the participants. And just based on me sharing and that information, and she saw my enthusiasm and, and belief in the benefits of emotional intelligence, she's the one who really made the brand focused on emotional intelligence. I was writing about feelings and the concepts, but I hadn't really like, labeled it, you know, as um, emotional intelligence focused. So she gets the credit for that. And, and then the journey that I'm now on is uh, teaching at a very young age, like ages zero plus emotional intelligence and also putting information um, out there for parents to learn about it, to know how to role model it and to know how to begin teaching it starting with infancy. And therefore that's the launch of Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks which officially launched April 2nd of this year. Very neat. Now these books are starting at ages zero plus. So I have them targeted at zero to three, but four and five-year-olds are really enjoying them um, as well. So I would say it's very applicable to zero to five, but focused on zero to three. And I cover the six social emotional competencies on this podcast, and I've got them on the header of the podcast, and they correlate to causal.org's competencies, and they're in my Level Up program that I use. But can you explain the competencies that were important in the Goldman certification? Because I haven't taken it, but I feel like they're similar. And how would you teach these competencies to a parent or a child? What's the focus of the Goldman certification. Yeah, well, I absolutely do agree with you wholeheartedly that you have to incorporate fun. You know, when it comes to teaching children, and, and we're talking, you know, toddlers and preschoolers, um, babies, toddlers and preschoolers, you know, having them interested, focused, engaged, um, and then on up, you know, more like your, your girls, I think maybe what are they like 10 and 12? Eight yeah, and yeah so, so nine and 11. Nine, nine and 11, yeah. And I knew it was just from past podcasts, you know, they were somewhat in that age range. Um, so I do have some ideas. I have another brand that, that I'm going to launch for the next age group up. And, and so just keeping it fun and entertaining is super, super important. And that's, you know, an absolute goal of mine. So um, I love the six competencies that you've stated um, that you're focused on. And I agree, you know, that's so important to be skilled in, in those areas. There's some overlap, certainly. I haven't really come across very much disagreement within competencies, but there's a lot of overlap and there's just a lot of different ways that they're labeled and, and described and categorized. Um, but the... Um, the 12 EI competencies that are part of the Goldman EI program, um, I'll just read them here to you. Um, there are four pillars and within the self-awareness pillar, there is the competency of emotional self-awareness. So just one of the 12 under that, that pillar. And then in the second pillar, which is 
self-management. There are competencies of emotional balance, forward slash self-control, so that's one, adaptability, achievement orientation, and positive outlook. And then within the social awareness pillar, which I sometimes refer to as others awareness, um, it is under the Goldman EI model officially called social awareness pillar, but there are competencies of empathy and organizational awareness in that pillar. And then finally, the relationship management pillar um, encompasses competencies of influence, conflict management, inspirational leadership, coach and mentor, and teamwork. And from these, I personally found much growth in the area of adaptability. At the beginning of the Goldman EI coaching certification program, we all as participants in the cohort that I was involved with, we took the Corn Ferry 360 assessment. And it highlighted that my family members, not, not my peers or coworkers, but my family members reported that I could improve in the area of adaptability. So I took it to heart. I, I was very grateful for the feedback. And um, I you know, really have focused on, on that one more than the other 11, although they've all applied to me. I've grown immensely from learning about all of them. Um, but in particular, I'll just share as an example, the adaptability competency through the Goldman EI coaching program. And there are key points the first key point is adaptability is all about your responses to change. It can be as simple as shifting your communication style for a changing context, like putting on your accountant hat versus your marketing hat, but it can also be how you deal with disruptive change or whenever you're faced with fear, anxiety, and stress. Secondly, developing adaptability means adapting a new mindset about change. Do you see the opportunities change represents, not just the risks? Do you see yourself as empowered to act on the change rather than just being at the mercy of forces beyond your control? Thirdly, notice where you might have gotten stuck due to a rigid view or attempting to solve a problem with the same failed strategies. Practice being open to different ideas and perspectives. By allowing yourself to be challenged and by opening up, you will discover greater success in solving problems, receive more support from others, and increase your capacity for creativity and innovation. Lastly, the fourth key point is you can strengthen your adaptability through deliberate practice. When you feel yourself responding to change with stress and anxiety, take three deep breaths. I do this a lot. Then repeat the self-coaching action steps, which I'll go into here in a minute, as a way to find the positive in the change and transform your perspective so you can move to action then we really do dive deep. And then we have conversations with, with our coach about it. So coaching is kind of like, um, it's like, a, you know, with a sport, you know, we, I think, you know, when we think of the word coach, we're mostly, I think, trained to think athletically. And when we're training in a sport, it's one thing to read about, you know, exactly how to be skilled at that sport. 
It's a totally different experience though when you have someone coaching you in a whole different perspective than you would on your own. And that's how it is with the coaching process. You know, I think a, a trained coach, but the, the benefit of having someone reflect back to you, you know, what you're communicating and what you're experiencing and asking pertinent questions is life transforming. It's, um, it really is so impactful. And so uh, the, the first step was get moving, uh, do some form of aerobic exercise for at least 15 to 20 minutes a day. And this is specifically for increasing the skill of adaptability. Secondly, refill your emotional gas tank. Engage in at least one activity daily that promotes renewal. Some of these research shows are walking in nature, extending kindness, practicing yoga, or doing some form of meditation. Um, And then as the days go by, it's important to note what happens to you mentally and physically when you refill your gas tank and think about which of the activities based on your analysis you want to engage in more often. So the, the program involves journaling, as I mentioned, and it's a great way to reflect on concepts and how they apply to you personally. Uh, through journaling, I noted that the mental and physical actions make a huge difference in my well-being. You know, I feel rejuvenated from aerobic exercise. When I read my journal entry this morning, Andrea, it uh, really helps me a lot because this is from a couple of years ago. And I realized that the stress I'm currently feeling, which is due to the fact that my, my work has become increasingly more demanding and I haven't had the resources to hire more people at this point. Um, and I, and it, it really helped me a lot because I had written about biking early in the morning to my gym and Pilates workouts. And I'm still going to gym and Pilates workouts daily, but but I, I haven't taken the time to bike there. And, you know, that was a great reminder because I, I wrote about it rejuvenating my mind and body from the fresh air, seeing other people out and about, feeling the breeze, hearing the river, because there's Boulder Creek. It's not a river. It's really a creek. Boulder Creek runs right through the town that I live in. And it's a path that I take to the gym. Wow. And, and so, you know, it was a great reminder uh, so preparing for, for this podcast and reflecting on, you know, some of the EI work that I've done, um, tomorrow I'm going to bike. Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. It's so important. All these things you were talking about, bits of other podcasts have come up, like, like taking mental breaks was just in the one I'm editing before we, we went on live this guy that's a memory expert, Dave Farrow, was talking about how important it is when he's training people on memory, and he's in the Guinness World Book of Records for memory, and he was talking about how you've got to take those breaks or else your your brain depletes. And that's been on so many different podcasts that I've, I've talked about the, the brain network theory and shifting from your focused work to giving yourself those creative breaks. And so you talked about that. We all need those breaks to be productive. And and these things are not taught to us anywhere. So I love that you've got that training and that you're putting it in programs for 
I never even thought about teaching emotional intelligence to my kids when they were that young, like zero. I would say things to them like when I put them to bed, like you're going to be successful, you're going to have everything you want, like trying to give them the, that positive feeling. But you never know, like, is that really doing anything? I think positive affirmations is huge. Uh, the second book that I wrote that I didn't end up marketing because it was not very consistent, like a different illustrator, different style and everything than my first book, but it was all about positive affirmation. So now I think that's beautiful. And, and, you know, to answer your question about how I would teach these concepts to children, um, there are three free downloadable guides that can be found on hoppypoppy.com. And for any listener who's interested in receiving those um, Hoppy Poppy is H-O-P-P-Y-P-O-P-P-I-E, but on uh, H-O-P-P-Y-P-O-P-P-I-E.com, uh, there are three uh, downloadable guides. And so the guides are full of can-do-today tips. And I know, Andrea, your podcast is focused on you know, takeaways that are immediate, you know, immediate suggestions and things that people can do uh, right away. And that's what all three of my guys are focused on, um, exactly that. The first one is the Hoppy and Poppy Learn Love EQ Guide titled Five Key Tools You Can Use Today for Teaching Your Child EQ Fundamentals, Essential for Early Childhood Development. And it teaches parents the basics of emotional intelligence, what it is, its history, and in general, what the goal is for five key skill sets being self-aware, able to self-regulate, self-motivate, empathetic, and able to effectively handle relationships. So, so as early as we can give our children a vocabulary of emotions and the language taught to them that they need to express themselves, the better off you know, they're going to be. Um, and the Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks Baby Board Books that I've written, the Not So Scary and What We Feel board books, they equip babies with knowing the names of even more emotions than the emotion wristbands, which has the six primary emotions. Um, and so, you know, babies really love these 100% silicone, they're baby safe uh, for six months plus uh, wristbands. And these are the primary emotions, happy, sad, scared, excited, angry, and calm. And then the book's expand that vocabulary. They have some of the same emotions in the books, but they expand it through storytelling. Um, and so babies and toddlers and preschoolers learn the names of, you know, I haven't counted them. I would say probably, I need to count them, about 15 emotions, I think. Um, and, and so just like we begin reading books before a baby is verbal about the names of animals and the sounds they make, colors, numbers, you know, and so on, we really want to be sure that we're reading stories that talk about emotions and feelings. It makes a, a big difference. And then the guide number two is titled Five Easy and Fun Tools to Teach Your Child Mindfulness, a Life-Changing EQ Skill. An example of teaching mindfulness to a young child is teaching them to be aware of their breath and body awareness. This guide gives many specific examples for how to do this. And the Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks Emotion Wristbands um, are on a sleeve that says, 
start the conversation about emotions and body awareness. And so, you know, once these wristbands are taken off the sleeve, a parent just cool. has a little guide. That's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Like, uh, what is the shape of your mouth when you feel happy? What happens to your eyes when you feel sad? What happens to your heartbeat when you feel scared? What do your arms do when you feel excited? How do your eyebrows look when you feel angry? What do your hands do when you feel calm? Uh, so just, just starting to begin the conversation about body awareness. Guide number three is five important tools for teaching your child compassion and empathy, critical EQ skills for social learning. The guide's first tip is to role model self-empathy and compassion. A child learns by hearing a parent state out loud phrases such as, I accept myself as I am, and I respect my desire to be uh, organized and on time. That would be an example of what something, you know, that a parent might say that's positive, that a child absorbs, or I'm not perfect, but I am whole. Uh, so showing self-empathy and self-compassion and role modeling that. Um, teaches a child then to adopt the same behavior. Mm -hmm. um, so it's also really important for parents to be very aware of how they talk about themselves to other people when the child is, is within hearing distance. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, the, what a child overhears uh, can make a profound difference. Sometimes we don't think children are paying attention. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah. They're, you're downstairs, they're upstairs, and they're answering your questions. Yes. Uh, that's what happens in our house. They're always listening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and there's many ways to involve a child with acts of compassion. You know, even when they're little, you know, even before they can really draw a picture, they can just scribble, you know, and you show them that you're putting it in an envelope and sending it to grandma because maybe she's feeling a little bit lonely. And it'll brighten her day when she gets that in her mailbox. Or, you know, you're taking a meal to a friend who's had surgery or is sick. And uh, they can be, you know, whatever age, you know, that they are, you know, when once they're old enough to do even the tiniest thing, it's starting to teach them uh, that compassion. And then my book, uh, What We Feel, is featuring Tattoo. And he's, he's an... 100% organic cotton, 14 inch square blanket. And Patu is a character that takes Hoppy and Poppy through a journey of feelings. And Patu is saying, you know, Hoppy and Poppy, now how do you feel? And so that teaches children to become very comfortable with that question for one, now how do you feel? It's also bringing a present moment perspective into it. And Hoppy and Poppy's feelings are changing throughout the, the book and with um, the environment that they're in. And so it teaches young children that emotions change, uh, which is you know, really important that they learn that as well as empathy. This is really good. And what is impressive is that I came from the publishing side of things. I was at Pearson after I had moved to the US after my teaching. I had a chance to go and look at, you know, how products are created and marketed 
And what I see behind you is so engaging. So as a rep, a former sales rep, I can imagine taking these to schools and how educators would eat those up. Are you in the schools with them? Where, like, where are you right now with this? Because my sales mind is just going crazy. Thank you. I need a salesperson. Mm. I, I don't have a salesperson at this point. So, um, but what I, what I'm just been focusing on so far is my website, um, sales and, and trying to direct people, parents, you know, particularly, uh, of young children to my website. And I do have three different combinations on Amazon prime. And so direct to consumer, um, has, you know, taken all of my time and, and energy so far. Uh, but I certainly do want to reach out to schools, daycare centers, you know, retail. Um, but I, I'm just taking it one step at a time. So I'm not there yet. But thank you for that encouragement and support. I appreciate it. No, I've got some ideas for you. When we when we finish this, definitely you need to get this product seen by the major publishers out there because this is an arm that publishers are looking at right now. And I don't know where it is or where it goes, but you can't have something this good that people don't see. So that's why I'm I'm grateful to have this opportunity to interview people and things get seen and who knows where it could go. But I think that you really need to show this to the major publishers just so you can see where it can go. I don't know, but that's yeah. definitely one idea. You can't you can't ignore that because I spent so many years carrying around different products and that's perfect. That would that would do very well. I can tell. Thank you. I did not know that you had that background, Andrea. Yeah, that really helped after I worked in with Bob Proctor and I moved to the US and September 11th happened. Everything fell through with what I was doing with the youth program. I got into Pearson and I did really well with sales because of my background working in the seminar industry, selling seminars and being coached by some of the best in, in the seminar industry and, and on work ethic. So you know, it was easy to just go out and do really well in sales with with some of the things that we were taught, you know, how you make use of your day. And so that was uh, definitely the step before I left the corporate world to create my own products, which is why I also know how hard it is once you've created it um, to get it into the right people's hands. So I can kind of see do two different sides that and, and any educator that would be watching this would recognize how much work has gone into that. Thank you very much. Yes. And I, and I'm looking forward now to getting on your website uh, and seeing what your products are, because I, I didn't uh, realize that you've got some products as well. And I'm sure that I can benefit from uh, what you put together. I know you put a lot of time and effort into your work. Definitely. It's been it's been a 20 year thing and a lot of my stuff went online into an online membership area and and a lot of it really is ongoing. So you always create new things. So right now the focus is to create new stuff, because especially with this area of neuroscience, things change. I have to do some work and create a third book right now. And in all the time that I've got in my day, I'm going to add like writing another book. But that's just 
That's just what what has to happen. But, you know, just going back and looking at when I launched the podcast, my episode number one is on the importance of setting up an emotional intelligence program or training in your workplace or school. And it's funny thinking back to day one because uh, I interviewed my husband and he actually had just got off a, a work trip and he put his suit jacket on my desk and it was right here. And I said, speak into the microphone. Here's some questions I want you to answer and he, he hadn't even had dinner yet or anything he just looked at me and said okay I'll, I'll do this for you because he knew I wanted to get this podcast thing started but um just from your experience why do you think it's so important to teach these skills at an early age and what's missing from the corporate world like you're starting early but it travels all the way through the school age what's missing in the corporate world yeah, that's a really good, good question. Um, does your husband pronounce his name, Mahid? It's Majid. Majid? Yeah. Majid. Um, so I did listen to that episode okay. and, and really, really enjoyed it a lot. Um, and, I, and I wrote down, you know, something that he very aptly said and shared, and that was that research shows that teaching these skills result in immediate and long-term improvement in academic achievements and are a better predictor of success than academic ability alone. So it's, it's very exciting that the benefits of learning to have high emotional intelligence is now supported by studies, even though as we all know in the field of emotional intelligence, it's a new field, you know, anything based on science and research, it's new when it's only a few decades old. Um, but now fortunately, you know, it has been just long enough for very solid long-term studies over a span of, say, 30 years. Um, they ha it has taken place. And, and we know that it increases academic performance and school readiness. So why not teach at the youngest age possible um, to prepare a child to be ready for school and to be socially, you know, um, capable of handling relationships, forming friendships, and, and understanding others, having some empathy um, with, you know, balance to it, that's important. Uh, but in my first guide, I mentioned the National Scientific Council on the Developing Child, housed at the Center on the Developing Child at Harvard University, and they published a very informative paper about early childhood brain and emotional development emotional intelligence can be taught beginning at infancy according to these studies. And regarding the corporate environment, sadly, you know, Andrea, there are still uh, many corporations which are led by individuals with a command and control uh, way of leadership. Um, and it is oppressive and, um, you know, it's, it's proven now that that is not the most effective way for corporations to have their leadership teams perform um, their jobs. And so um, the, um, the results of research and studies which have been published uh, point to the importance of high emotional intelligence in effective corporate leadership. And one thing I wanted to share with you is that, I didn't know if you knew this, but Daniel Goleman and his son, Hahnemann Goleman, they now host a podcast. 
it's fairly new. Um, it's been been out for I don't know exactly how long. They have they have a handful of episodes. It's wonderful. I love it. I subscribe to it and listen to them. It's first person plural, and uh, they they make it very easy on the Keystep Media website that is their website to order these primers. Oh. Um, and and they they are just a great. Um, source of information about emotional intelligence competencies. And there's, there's a primer called effective leadership. And I wanted to read you um, when it comes to corporate environments, what Daniel Goleman's report is on a study that he did. Um, and he compiled information that he obtained from a hundred organizations. And he states what I found was quite revealing it turned out for jobs of all kinds at all levels, on average, emotional intelligence was twice as important as cognitive ability in terms of the distinguishing competencies of emotional intelligence. And the higher you go in the organization, the more it matters. If you look at top leadership positions, C-suite positions, you'll see that 80 to 90% and sometimes 100% of the competencies that organizations independently determine to set apart their star leaders are based on emotional intelligence. And it's encouraging to me that my, my two sons, David and John, they are software engineers and they work for more progressive tech companies. And I am so thrilled to hear them talk about the culture um, that these companies that they're working for have adopted. And, you know, for example, my, my son, John, they have a Friday sharing time. So no work is discussed, but people bring like pictures from when they were kids and stories of their, from their lives. And they just get to know each other. And they build those valuable relationships and they get to know each other as individuals and as people. And, and that's, you know, valued, uh, it's worth the time that, you know, is set aside to do this and it's recognized, you know, as being important. I just think that's uh, fantastic. And, and my son, David, he works for a little larger company. Um, right now they're working from home, uh, you know, and they, and they really miss each other, you know, because in, in the office in downtown Denver, it's, it's like very open and there's not a lot of distinction between different levels of management. Um, and there's just a lot of camaraderie and it's they're very, very supportive. My, my son, David and his wife, Danielle had a baby. My granddaughter, Isabel was born January 23rd of this year. And, and the company you know, paid for some house cleaning, paid for uh, an allowance for ordering takeout uh, they, they pay for a sleep consultant, which made a huge difference. Uh, you know, they really did provide some really good resources for them to take advantage of. So it's encouraging, you know, is my point. I mean, there are plenty of corporations that are lacking, um, in having a positive and affirming culture, uh, for which people spend so many hours of their time, you know, and, and but the, the positive side is that there are, newer companies um, and some older and more established companies who have also 
started to recognize um, the importance of emotional intelligence and have, have transformed the leadership in their organizations, uh, which is a very, very good thing. We need to see more and more of that. And I believe that we will. So do I. With As we continue to learn and, and share these ideas, I think that uh, a lot of people are doing things the right way. When I hear about other people's work environments, they're setting up things like this. And, and it just reminds me of how things were before we were so hooked to our devices, you know, um, when we would talk to people on the telephone or we would go knock on their door and see them face to face instead of texting and, and the impersonal side of how everything has gotten, you know, it's just bringing us back more to the way things were back in the day when we were more connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which kind of, Taught, makes me think about my home life and growing up in my house, we definitely did not talk about our emotions in my home. So if I was ever upset or I would cry, my dad would yell at me because he just hated to see emotion. He didn't want to see it. He'd like his exact phrase was stop the waterworks. And I knew what that meant. It was like I was going to get a kick in the butt because he didn't want to deal with it. And um, I just couldn't hide it. It was just who I was. You know, you look at my face, you know what I'm thinking and feeling. And now as a parent, I'm learning all these new strategies and I'm trying to do things different in our home, you know, trying to let the girls express themselves. But, you know, it can get exhausting sometimes. I forgot how many problems kids have, especially this week. They're going back to school and everything is a big, like, blow up. The world is over turmoil. Like, oh, no, my shirt doesn't have buttons like everybody else's. The, the whole world is over. So what are some strategies to really listen to our kids and provide support without letting them suck the life force out of us as parents? Because it can do exactly that. And, and it can be exhausting. You know, I mean, just like Mark Brackett and you and, and myself, and we, many of us in this field are so driven and motivated because of the lack of emotional intelligence in our own childhood. Mm -hmm. And, and oftentimes I will look at the, the portrait that's in my bedroom on the wall of me as I, I think I'm right around two years old. But oftentimes I look at that little girl and think, you know, how her life would have been different if her parents had high emotional intelligence. And I too, I, I, Grew up with a lot of chaos and a lot of trauma. Um, I had a real blend of love and chaos um, as the theme, I think, in my home. Uh, but there was alcoholism and abuse, and and being the survivor of that, um, it had, it has taken an immense amount of determination, resiliency, uh, willingness to be vulnerable. And, and just really sheer determination, you know, to, to show up in this world and to be the best person that I can be. And so, I mean, I can totally relate, you know, to what you're talking about and the effort involved and in wanting to do things um, so much better, you know, than how our parents um, might have done it. Um, and I think what comes to mind immediately when you ask that question uh, that might be a helpful strategy 
is uh, just viewing your child as an individual rather than an extension of yourself. And having a coach and mentor mentality uh, for your child can be a helpful perspective. The learning to listen attentively and ask a reflective question, it keeps the ownership of what's being shared with the child, you know, and, and I think just being aware of not taking on um, some of the intensity of the emotion that they're experiencing um, as your own and being just very curious, more as um, an observer thinking about out of curiosity, how you might phrase a question to them that will help them get through the layers of, of what it is that they're experiencing and just allowing them to come up with their own solutions and their own thoughts and ideas about you know, what's really going on. Um, one other thing that, that does come to mind is to make a very conscious effort to relax your body as a parent. Uh, when your child is emotional and you're, you're listening to your child um, share what, what it is that they're experiencing and feeling, just to, to be aware of your own breath and relaxing your shoulders and your body and keeping that tension at bay, you know, feeling your feet grounded um, on whatever surface they're on. Um, that can also, I think, take some of the exhaustion um, out of it. I don't, does that resonate? Sure it does, because the first thing you want to do is freeze up and say, oh, no, now I thought it was like the end of the day. And now we've got like another hour <laughs> of discussion to do because, you know, you try and keep things on track. But you're right. Sometimes you just have to relax and they do come up with their own solutions. They don't want to know what my solution is because they they wouldn't want my solution. They, they'll come up with their own. But you're right. It's just being there to listen Mm -hmm. That's a really good, a good answer. I like it. And, you know, I think, uh, I think children really need to also know, you know, how a parent is feeling at times. And sometimes if it's late and sleep is important, you know, sometimes just saying, you know, listen, honey, you know, you know, let's just go to bed and get some sleep, sleep on it. And, and, not, and just don't forget to bring it back up, you know, the next day. Um, so, you know, let's, let's sleep on it. Sometimes that does a world of good. Um, and let's, you know, let's pick up this conversation when we're fresh and maybe not so tired if it's at the end of the day. Um, and it teaches them, you know, self-care and to value sleep and, you know, what it does. And we know, you know, as we read more and more about the brain and, neurological uh, benefits of sleep, you know, that it's critical. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so I know you are such a good parent though, Andrea, I know you do a great job. I mean, there's, there's no escaping, I think sometimes, you know, the exhaustion that being a parent can bring, you know, bring upon our lives. I mean, it's, it's a lot of effort, it's a lot of energy. But thank goodness for all these strategies, like each podcast, I'm learning stuff and sharing and then thinking about what can I do to make the harmony better in this house? Because that's really 
the the idea is to definitely share but also implement these ideas so i'll definitely put all the links to everything you've talked about in the show notes and you've created some incredible programs based on your goldman training you've gone into detail about how you would teach these at the the young level right up through how important it is for us as parents and even in the workplace what what would be your final thoughts just to bring this to a close yeah well um thank you for asking i don't think you know you've missed anything you've asked some really great questions that are very pertinent um and you know i i am starting to develop some more learn love eq curriculum uh which i hope you know will be even more of more benefit and helpful to parents of young children. Um, so, you know, I've got lots of things in the works and, and we'll keep you posted. Um, so on uh, my social media, uh, I am on Facebook and Instagram, and we just got on TikTok. TikTok is pretty foreign to me. So Dan Tiger and I, we're a two-person team at this point. And Dan Tiger is creative director uh calming your palm who did all the illustrations for not so scary and what we feel is very talented artist who designed poppy and poppy's plush and um and the wristbands everything you see uh, you know the sleeve everything and um the the beautiful thing about our age difference is i'm a grandparent and a parent of grown children and dan has a just turned four-year-old son yeah. uh, so he's he's early in his journey as a parent so you know we we have a lot of different perspectives um but TikTok. uh so i'm i'm just now getting used to it or just learning it uh so we just started posting and dan is doing all of it he's doing all of the little videos that he's putting on TikTok. um so hoppy poppy pink cheeks on TikTok. And YouTube, we're just starting to gear up on YouTube and we have a Twitter account and I share my blogs, which are published every Friday evening on uh, LinkedIn. And that's Renee R. Adams, but you can find it by Hoppy and Poppy Pink Cheeks search also. Um, so I would just, you know, love for people to follow us on Instagram. We have Mood Monday and we have tips for Tuesday and we uh, take quotes from the guides and, you know, just really try to bring value uh, to the social media so people get some good pointers and tips for how to teach emotional intelligence to littles. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you so much, Renee, for coming on the podcast today and sharing the creative and innovative products that you have created yourself. Um, thank you so much for your time. I'll put all the links in the show notes to your website and where people can find you and follow you. Thank you so much for your time today. Yes, well, thank you, Andrea. And please let me know if there's any way I can ever be of any assistance or help. Absolutely. Yes. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episode. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 